And now we are welcoming on the American Veteran Podcast, Colonel Pete Crane, uh, Vice President of Education and Access at the National World War II Museum. Colonel Crane is a retired Army Colonel with multiple deployments. He is also the former director of the U.S. Army Heritage and Education Center at the U.S. Army War College at Carlisle, Pennsylvania. So Colonel Crane, thank you for carving out some time to speak with us. Uh, AMVETS was founded in 1944 by World War II veterans uh, who felt that they were not being represented by veterans organizations that currently existed at that time. We have hundreds of members that are excited to visit the museum. A lot of them have already done uh, the base level of, of research, looking at the website um, and all the exhibits and the, the features that uh, exist at the museum, and they're excited to kind of encapsulate this as part of their New Orleans uh, experience. So again, thank you for uh, speaking with us today. Well, thank you, Miles, and thanks for letting me be join you today. We're really looking forward to having AMVETS come down uh, to New Orleans, and especially happy to have them coming to the National World War II Museum. They are looking forward to it, especially. Um, so without further ado, I'd love to dive into a couple of uh, questions that we have conjured up as well as a few of our members um, have, have come up with as well. Um, most, uh, like we spoke before, uh, AMVETS uh, is made up of, of veterans, spouses, um, and their families. They love to hear about fellow veterans in leadership positions such as yours. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your service, um, perhaps a little bit of time at the War College as well, and, and what's led to you being the Vice President of Education and Access uh, for the World War II Museum? Well, sure. Thanks for asking. Uh, I was in the Army for almost 30 years, 29 and a half years, and uh, was a physician. Uh, one of the funny, odd uh, fun facts of my career is that uh, I was either in or attached to every division in the 18th Airborne Corps and none of the others. So, uh, so I, on active duty, I never set foot on Fort Hood and I never went to the National Training Center, but uh, I, I hit both Joint Readiness Training Centers uh, and, and you know, spent a lot of time obviously in the 18th Airborne Corps. Uh, and also spent some time over in Germany. I was over there for five years and was actually uh, a liaison officer with the Canadian forces for a couple of years and, and went to Afghanistan the first time with the Canadian. <laughs> um, so, you know, I was an operational logistician, uh, but I was also a, a military history fan, um, you know, my entire career. You know, I always uh, firmly believed that <laughs> Excuse me, a little cough there. Uh, I always firmly believed that a professional needs to study their profession. And if you're an army officer, that means you need to study military history. And so I had a pa true passion for it uh, my entire career. And uh, I was lucky enough to have had two assignments in uh, uh, the army history field uh, in Shortly after coming back from a deployment in 2010, I was assigned uh, as the acting director of the Army Center of Military History, which is the Army's organization that is responsible for the, uh, the management policy uh, at, of the Army's history program. So 
the Army Museum system, uh, the uh, historian positions across the Army, uh, and, and the doctrine for how the Army uses history. And uh, as you already mentioned, uh, my other history assignment was uh, when I was up on the faculty of the Army War College, I was the uh, director of the Army's Heritage and Education Center, which is a uh, unique animal for all of the services. Uh, it's, as you mentioned, it's about the fourth largest museum in the Army system. It's, uh, it is the, the Army's largest library with, uh, at that time, about a half a million volumes. And then the Army's historical archive uh, with over 27,000 linear feet of uh, historical uh, archival material. Uh, so it's uh, quite a bit, uh, millions of documents. And going back to uh, George Washington, uh, George Washington's time, one of the early things that we had was a newspaper from George Washington's inauguration. So, um, so I was a kid in a candy store, uh, and the uh, I was coming up on mandatory retirement. You know, they say, you know, well, not they say it's mandatory that uh, a colonel needs to retire at the thirty-year mark. And I was coming up on that, and I have one of the world's most understanding wives, and uh, we had a conversation. I said, "Well, could I? I would like to stay in the history field if possible." Uh, my specialty area as a logistician was in fuels, so maybe I should have been working for BP or Exxon, but uh, that's not what I went home and read books about. And so I, uh, you know, I, I, Teresa and I had a conversation and said, I'd like to stay in the history field if we can make that happen and still put the kids through college. And uh, she was supportive. And uh, one day my foundation president came in to me and, and said, Hey, you know, this, this, the world war II museum is advertising and they're looking for this position. And, um, you know, thought you might want to know about it. Well, I had not had a job interview since 1987 and that was to be a, that was to be a maintenance man in an office complex. So I needed to practice. I didn't think I had any chance, um, but quite frankly, I think uh, my experience as a soldier and in the history positions in the Army uh, set me up for making the transition and the bridge to civilian life here at the World War II Museum. Yeah, no, that's true. College uh, out in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, it was always something that mystified me. Uh, my father was Army as well. Uh, he was an MP, so we spent a lot of time Fort Bragg, uh, Fort Leavenworth, Fort Leonard Wood, um, but uh, never the uh, the War College. Uh, so never really knew what I, I, to be honest with you, I don't know if there's, I imagine there is a, a base around it, a, a post, but um, other than that, um, not really much about the War College, was always uh, kind of intrigued about it. Well, the War College is a fantastic place. All of the services have a War College. You know, all uh, just like any other profession, true professionals have uh, a dedication to lifelong learning. And so the professional military education program has uh, has training requirements uh, and education requirements at every rank. So for an officer, you go to your officer basic course, uh, you're at the captain level, you go to a captain's career course. 
as a major, you go to the Command and General Staff College out in Leavenworth. Um, and then as a uh, senior lieutenant colonel or a colonel, you go to the Army War College and it's a one year uh, resident. Well, they also have distance education courses at, and the distance education is a two year course, but it's a one year resident course where these lieutenant colonels and colonels are going to, they're working on a master's degree. Um, it's really a unique place. It's at the uh, at Carlisle Barracks, which is one of the oldest posts in the Army. It's very small. The only thing that is there is the War College. Uh, but there are also foreign officers there as well, and uh, called International Fellows. And in my class, we had uh, 80 officers from 78 different countries. And the experience that we gained by having foreign officers in our classes every day uh, really was a broadening experience. Uh, now, every service has one of these. There's a Naval War College. The uh, Air Force has one, obviously the Marines. Uh, and then there's also the National War College down in uh, Washington, D.C., as well as the Eisenhower School, which is specifically about logisticians and logistics. And uh, but of course, I'm biased, but I'd say the Army's is the best. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it really is a great academic environment that lets uh, senior officers think about strategic studies. And most of their students are going to go on and be if they're not if they don't become generals themselves, they will fill senior positions where they're providing advice and counsel at the strategic level. And this is what uh, that course is supposed to protect, uh, prepare them to do. Got it. That makes sense. Now. Uh, my, uh, my dad retired as a major, so mm -hmm. I'll explain the War College bit. Uh, so to just to kind of stay uh, on the War College just a little bit more. Um, again, you oversaw the U.S. Army Heritage and Education Center. Um, mm -hmm. It includes, as you mentioned, the Army's uh, the historical archive, the largest library. Um, of its largest museum focused on telling the Army story one soldier at a time. And now we are with um, the National World War II Museum uh, and the education and access part. Um, I'm wondering how much um, of, of your time at the War College and uh, overseeing the Heritage and Education Center, how much of that transitions to what you do now, say on a daily basis? Oh, quite a bit of it. Quite a bit of it. The at at the AHEC, uh, the Army Heritage and Education Center, uh, I was responsible for the content side of uh, of that that company's mission or that that institution's mission. So, you know, I had researchers. I was I had um, you know archives. I had cataloging specialists. I had um, you know, we, we built exhibits. Um, so quite a bit of it transitioned over and, um, it is unique in the army. So I think it kind of uniquely prepared me for this job, uh, here at the national world war II museum, I'm responsible as the vice president of education and access. I'm responsible for the content side of the museum. So uh, in my department, which is education and access, we have uh, the Jenny Craig Institute for the Study of War and Democracy, which is uh, 
Um, we have historians who are uh, studying war. They're helping ensure the accuracy of everything we do here at the, at the National World War II Museum. They run conferences and symposia. They are responsible for uh, much of the content that is put on our, our website. So the, that's the historians. We also have a media center that uh, produces timed media for, from podcasts to we did a, a documentary. Uh, we do a lot of short timed media pieces uh, and supporting the rest of the museum with their requirements on time media pieces. Then we also have a education department that uh, focuses on kindergarten through 12th grade education and helping to uh, reach out to teachers and provide them with curricula, provide them with programs that they can use in their classrooms and uh, help teach American children about what this country did in World War II and, and why, and most importantly, why is that still relevant today? Why does it affect their lives today? And then uh, the last department is our um, collections and exhibits department, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's those people managing the collection uh, in the vaults and, and uh, our exhibits. And we have a number of permanent exhibits. Uh, your, your AMVETS uh, folks that are going to be coming to the convention are going to see uh, a number of buildings worth of permanent exhibits, but also we keep two traveling exhibits going or temporary exhibits going at the same time. And on top of that, we have a couple of exhibits that travel the country uh, and are in other museums uh, across the country so that uh, you don't necessarily just have to come to the World War II Museum. You can we reach people where they live. Yeah, um, I'm going to segue for a, for a quick second. Do you have a favorite uh, exhibit or feature of the museum? I'm sure, you know, you you obviously take good pride and you'll perhaps tell me all of them are your favorite but, but do you have a, a favorite exhibit or yeah it's it's kind of hard to you know kind of like your children you 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 love them all for different reasons um and i i uh, would say all of our exhibits are fantastic uh people coming here for our permanent exhibits will find themselves in an immersive experience uh you know you're you actually get to you, when you're in the uh, the Road to Tokyo exhibit, that's you know focusing at part of it on the first major battle that the United States participated in, Guadalcanal. You're actually in Guadalcanal. It's an immersive exhibit. Um, same thing in our Road to Berlin. You know when and the Battle of the Bulge. You're you're there among the trees in the Ardennes, and so. That's one of the things that's fantastic. I also particularly like our Arsenal of Democracy exhibit that uh, that covers a number of different topics. So it, it talks about the American isolationist movement uh, prior to World War II. It talks about Pearl Harbor. It talks about trying to build an army from scratch, basically. Uh, you know, the army when the Germans invaded Poland, we were the 17th largest army in the world. Uh, behind that powerhouse, Romania, and uh, and by the end of the war, the army alone had eight and a half million soldiers. So, you know, how do you build an army like that? And what was it like on the home front? And 
what was it like on the home front if you were a minority? Uh, we cover all of these topics. Uh, we talk about the incarceration of Japanese Americans without due process. Um, so we, we take on some pretty uh, strong topics uh, head on. And then, of course, by the name of the exhibit, the Arsenal of Democracy, it talks about perhaps America's greatest contribution in the war, that of not only outfitting and equipping our own military, but those of all of our allies as well. So, um, you know, that one, I love the variety of topics that we have in there. And then, of course, the last one that I'd highlight, and I can go on for a long time on this topic, but, uh, you know, we have two exhibits that are coming up that we're redoing. One is traveling the country right now that we're going to uh, expand on called Fighting for the Right to Fight, which is about the African-American experience in World War II. Uh, and then uh, we're also uh, building one that will be opening here first uh, on Veterans Day of next year called Our War II about uh, American women who put on the uniform uh, in World War II. And their story is is often overshadowed. So we're really excited about those and we're working uh, heavily right now just to develop them. That's true. So, uh, definitely looking forward to seeing that in a, in a few weeks here um, with several of our members. Um, sure. You know, clearly the World War II Museum has been uh, attended um, by countless World War II veterans. Um, you know, unfortunately, we're getting to the tail end of a lot of World War II veterans. Um, just their their lives, you know, they're starting to pass. Um, and it can be an extremely emotional experience uh, for them, uh, to which I've seen, I, I, I'm sure you've seen a lot of those experiences and been able to talk to a lot of them. Uh, is there perhaps one or two um, examples that, that really stick out in your mind that every once in a while uh, your mind wanders back to? You know, I think this is the best part of my job is getting to meet World War II veterans. And I've had the, the pleasure and really the honor of being able to meet some incredible people. Uh, you know, Gail Halverson from the uh, the candy bomber from the Berlin airlift and, and Tuskegee airmen, you know, Charles McGee and just amazing people. But, you know, a couple that stand out in my mind, uh, one of course, and unfortunately we just lost him last month, uh, was Woody Williams, the last medal of honor recipient from world war II. Uh, he was a flamethrower operator on Iwo Jima and, you know, one of the highlights of being here for the last five years was actually going through with a small group through our uh, Road to Tokyo exhibit into where we talk about Iwo Jima and having Woody in that gallery telling his story about the, the action the day that uh, he received the medal, that he earned the Medal of Honor. That one is an incredible one, but it's it's usually little things like you know, we had a, a Navy veteran who came in from California uh, and he knew, you know, he's 98 years old. He knew he wasn't going to be traveling again, but he knew we had a uh, LCVP, landing craft uh, vehicle personnel. Most people know it as a Higgins boat. And he was a coxswain on a, on a Higgins boat uh, for the landing of Saipan. And he hadn't been on one in 78 years. Uh, and he wanted to sit, be on one one more time before he died. And so they came in and we were able to get him up on the boat. 
And he stood there for about 45 minutes and basically gave me a class on how to operate a Higgins boat. And it's things like that. You know, it's, it's guys telling you stories about their experience in the Battle of the Bulge or, or the pilot who flew in the China-Burma-India theater uh, telling you about his experiences. Those are the things that just make this magic. Absolutely. Especially your mention of, of Woody um, was a Lifetime AMVETS member. Uh, back in, in 2019 in Louisville, Kentucky, right before the pandemic, we were able to present uh, Woody with, I, I believe, an Americanism, uh, a silver helmet. It's uh, mm -hmm. AMVETS' uh, biggest award. It is a, it's a World War II helmet that sits on a, a silver uh, stand, and the, the whole award is silver. Um, but uh, he he attended our convention um, and was warm as always, um, and it's it's always terrific, uh, or it was always terrific to have uh, Woody around. Um, that's that's all the questions I had. Uh, I understand you're extremely busy. Is there anything that uh, that you wanted to cover that we didn't, or is there anything that you want to do circle back to before we go? No, um, I just wanted to again you know, welcome uh, your AMVETS members that are going to be coming to New Orleans. Uh, and for those that can't come to New Orleans, please visit us on our website. We have uh, amazing content on there. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things we learned in during COVID was uh, how starved people were for, for good content. And whether it's uh, folks that are teachers looking for something for their students or just lifelong learners who are looking for something interesting to read, uh, check out our website and, and uh, keep follow us on social media and, and look at the, the articles and things that we're putting on out. But we definitely want to see all of your members down here in New Orleans, and especially for your World War II veterans that are still uh, with us um definitely want the message to get to them that this is their museum it's it's not mine it's their museum and uh we we want to see them down here especially absolutely well thank you again mr crane for carving out some time to speak with us um we will have actually we'll have a link to the website um in in the description of this podcast as well great well thank you thanks for this opportunity and uh look forward to meeting you when you come down <laughs>